welcome to Life with Ed, the podcast. I'm Julia Wirth, your host, a registered dietitian in New Haven, Connecticut, and I'm really excited to welcome you to this episode. Um, we are having a guest that was frequent in the first series, about her first time back in this second series of podcast, second season. Um, so it's Kirsten Ackerman. She's a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor and um a good friend of mine. She also lives in New Haven and owns a, uh, a nutrition business, mostly focusing on intuitive eating coaching. And today we are talking all about that intuitive eating and, and how it interplays or doesn't or shouldn't maybe with other health conditions. Um, it's something that comes up a lot in my work and in Kirsten's work when someone has another health condition you know, maybe intuitive eating is going to be the answer and maybe it's not, or maybe it's taking it a slightly different approach, um, or maybe it's changing your thinking about what intuitive eating is and what it isn't. Um, especially, especially in the setting of eating disorders, it's complicated. So we're going to get into all that and really break down when is intuitive eating appropriate? When is it maybe not appropriate at all? And when do you need to you know, change how you're going about it. I think it's a really good episode. It's short, so um, buckle up. We talk fast. A lot of likes in this episode, so I apologize for our manner of talking. We are friends, so it just sort of comes out in that way. Um, But I think you'll learn a lot. The other thing I wanted to mention before I get into the interview is that next Wednesday, Natalia Putnam, who is an associate dietitian in my private practice, is going to be presenting at the parent support group on Wednesday evening. So that's 7 p.m. on May, I think, 18th. Um, Yeah, next Wednesday, May 18th at 7 p.m. She's going to be presenting sort of on this topic about what happens when we have an eating disorder and we are you know, dealing with another health condition like diabetes or um, PCOS or we have, you know, some sort of autoimmune disease or something else comes up or an injury. And like, how do we deal with that other health condition while we're attempting to recover from intuitive eating? And does it change the um, way we go about it or does it not? And what takes precedence in, in that whole discussion? So, um, if you like this episode, I think you'll really learn a lot from um, Natalia's presentation, especially if you have a child or have an eating disorder yourself. Um, I think that it's a really important topic because we tend to think about conditions in silos and they just aren't. Almost every single one of my patients has multiple conditions and that could be as simple as anemia in addition to an eating disorder or it could be you know a mental health condition like depression or um, obsessive compulsive disorder with an eating disorder or it could be something like diabetes with an eating disorder which is really complicated and really important to break down so if you like this episode if you're interested in that topic Come next Wednesday. So send me an email at worth, W-E-R-T-H, your wild nutrition at gmail.com if you want to join us. And now uh, I welcome back Kirsten Ackerman. Hi, Kirsten. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Julia. Thanks so much for having me again. It's been a while. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're a frequent <laughs> guest at the beginning. Um, but now both of us have been so busy in our own businesses, which is so fun because 
I think when we first met, we were both like trying to figure out <laughs> what to do. Yes. The reason we connected because because you were like, oh, I got to like figure this out. So I guess you were just like trying to like touch face with a bunch of people. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out too. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it's so funny because like, you know, Instagram personas like make you feel like someone is like all together or not. Yeah. And I just remember like we met and I mean, you're so nice and awesome. And <laughs> I just was like, oh, she's like normal and like yeah. doesn't have it all together. Right. Just like, I'm just like you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she's just really good at Instagram. Okay. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um, but I wanted to have you back on because I get a lot of questions from parents and my patients too about intuitive eating. And a lot of them have heard about it and they've, you know, either seen things on Instagram, speaking of Instagram, or like heard something from a health provider or an eating disorder treatment about like intuitive eating is like the goal and like the gold standard. And like, that's where they want to be. Um, and often I have to like, you know, tell them no, not right now. And that's a really hard, um, discussion to have. And it's kind of, it's been challenging for me to like figure out, okay, why, like, let's break down like why that is. And so I just wanted to start off with you. Like you run an intuitive eating group and you have lots of intuitive eating experience. Um, how do you judge like whether someone is appropriate for intuitive eating and when they're maybe not? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a hard question because it is such like you had mentioned like a buzzword right now. It sounds like this great, wonderful thing. Um, obviously a lot of the clients that I'm interacting with and that are coming to me, or even that I'm getting on the phone with to consider working with a lot of times they are in that place where they're appropriate. And I think what makes them appropriate, a big part of it is like being able, being in a place where they're able to connect to hunger and fullness cues. Now, that's challenging to say because, you know, they could be engaging in certain behaviors like, yeah, that, that are preventing them from being in touch. But I don't know. I'm actually curious to hear more from you about like this <laughs> distinction for you. Cause it's like the clients that work with me are out of touch, but they also like are in a place where they're able to get in touch. If that makes sense. It does. So I guess maybe we should step back and just define like, what does it mean to be an intuitive eater? Yes. Okay. So yeah, I mean, intuitive eating, the, the heart of intuitive eating is getting to a place of connection to your hunger and fullness cues, your satiety cues, your satisfaction cues. It's really the heart of it is this connection to your body and you working in partnership with your body. And that mm -hmm. is not something that for most, for a lot of folks in our, in our culture, like not a lot something that is kind of ingrained just because we've really been taught to distrust our bodies. We've been taught mm -hmm. to follow the diet plan and what X, Y, Z person is saying what we should eat or when we should eat. Right. So it's, it's been very like externally based. So intuitive eating, the way I view it is it's this return to the connection with your body that has mm -hmm. been disrupted. Awesome. Yeah. That's a really good way to think about it. So I guess the thing that you would need to evaluate is like, is someone able to connect or is something that needs to be addressed first, disrupting that connection. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, so honestly, when I think of this, this kind of question of like, when is somebody appropriate or like, are they always appropriate? Like, what is the deal there? 
I view intuitive eating as like, I mean, there are 10 principles, right? There's not just like, it's not just about the connection, right? Like it's not just about listening to hunger or respecting fullness. And it's simply, it's also not as simple as like, always eat when you're hungry and always stop when you're full. Like there's so much nuance, but all Mm -hmm. of that being said, like there are 10 principles, like there are other aspects like body respect and getting curious about the food police thoughts that you're having, the judgmental Mm -hmm. thoughts around food that I feel like can be applied for a lot of people, you know, regardless of where you're at. Mm -hmm. So I guess like maybe that comes down to people not understanding that it's not one thing. Yeah. Like I am now an intuitive eater because like X, Y, and Z, like maybe it's more complicated. And, uh, how do you explain that to people? Yeah. I mean, what's coming to mind to me is like, intuitive eating is not like this destination and like becoming an, right. Like it's like, and it's, yeah, it's like, we want to become an intuitive eater and like arrive there and like be done. And like, I, it's, we have to view it as more of a healing process, but sometimes we need healing to happen, like other healing to happen before we can start this part of the healing process. But yeah, it's Mm -hmm. much bigger than just connecting to your cues. It's also connecting to the experience and the judgmental thoughts you've had around food and like your environment around food and body stuff growing up and your relationship with movement. It's all kind of baked into this healing process. Mm -hmm. So I guess just to go back to, you said, um, maybe there's something we need to address before you can work on that. The top things that come up for me are like, if someone is anorexic or bulimic or something like that, uh, some sort of eating disorder. And they like, (laughs) you know, are incredibly underweight or just malnourished, whether that means they're underweight or not. And they, it doesn't really matter if they feel hungry or not. Like they have to eat. 100%. Um, yeah. So what I, what I'm thinking of, as you're saying that you're talking about, you know, eating disorders within this conversation, it's like, there's a more pressing issue. There's a more critical issue that needs to be addressed that, that re-nourishment and like, yeah, we can't, I mean, and the truth is Julia, like a lot of the clients I work with, like, I have to have a conversation with them about like, Hey, we're not just eating when we're hungry. Like there's other nuanced reasons that you might need to be eat, be eating. Maybe you're super stressed, maybe you're sick and you don't have an appetite. You're not hungry, but you still need to eat. And I think that applies to this conversation as well. Yeah. So like, I mean, if you had cancer, right. And you're on chemo meds, you really got to be eating and you're not going to feel hungry. Exactly. So it's not the hunger and fullness diet. It's not eat when you're hungry and only when you're hungry and stop when you're full and exactly when you're full, it's not the hunger and fullness diet diet. There's nuance. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's good to explain. And then also with eating disorders, I think about can they even feel hunger or like, do they know what hunger feels like? Like with binge eating disorder, right? It's like, everything feels like hunger, like stress feels like hunger and like Mm. anger feels like hunger. And, and so it's like, well, maybe we just can't eat every time we're hungry then in the other, you know? Yeah. And I think that this is, I mean, that again, comes down to that disconnection and Um, yeah, not really knowing what your body is trying to tell you. Is it even hunger? Yeah. And it's, it's so complicated because like, obviously sometimes we eat as a coping mechanism and that's okay, but it's not okay if it's our only coping mechanism, you know, and it's, it's gone out of control. Totally. And the other thing that I think of with that is like, if 
we are using food for a coping skill and that's our only coping skill. And it's very dramatic and like extreme and it's causing us great, great deals of discomfort. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that I think about every is like, yeah. what's that? I said like every person I talked to. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like in those cases, like I like to reframe for clients too, like um, that are struggling with this and some level of the spectrum that the problem in that scenario is actually not the food, the problem, or even our behavior around the food, the pro the biggest problem is actually the undealt with stuff. Yeah. And of course, the fact that we only have one coping skill and it's all coming out in this big grand way. But if we view the chaos around food in that scenario as the problem, then we're missing what the actual problem is. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just like with anorexia you know, where it's like, I normally it's not that they want to look different. Like that's part of it. It's in there, but like, maybe there was some trauma or yes. some underlying depression or OCD or something. Right. And that's just projecting onto that behavior or that fixation on the body wanting, you know, wanting the body to be different or whatever, but that's yeah, not so we the can't just be like gain weight and now you'll be cured. <laughs> right. No, that is not how it works. Um, <laughs> Okay, cool. So I want to ask a bunch of questions that parents kind of fire at me sometimes <laughs> as like, um, you know, is this a myth or is this true? Right. So like parents say, well, my kid is eating, you know, all the time now that can't be okay. Like how does, or like yeah. my child is choosing sweets all the time now. Like mm -hmm. that can't be okay. I don't think we can do this intuitive eating thing anymore. Like, how do you respond to those sort of questions? I respond by saying that, like, I understand why your red flag is going up and you're like, this doesn't seem good. And like, we jump to the extreme because it's very human to think like, oh my gosh, they're eating in this chaotic way. Like that doesn't seem like it could be healthy. And they're going to just keep eating like that forever. And like, it's, and then you jump to all the other conclusions. So what I would, I mean, what I think of with that process of, and I'm assuming you're talking about, yeah, somebody that's maybe been struggling with anorexia now, right? And yeah, now so like, kind of yeah, I guess I should step back. So like, <laughs> so someone has anorexia, right? And we've determined they're not appropriate for intuitive eating and they go through the work and they, you know, learn what normal eating is and they regain weight and they regain hunger cues and they start to appreciate their body and like all those wonderful things. And then like the dietitian is like, Hey, like, how do you feel about intuitive eating and like trying to figure out, you know, are you hungry? Are you eating in response to that? Are you eating what you want? Like, let's get rid of this meal plan. It sucks. Like, can, we, <laughs> can we move on? Um, and so they start doing that. And then the parents notice like, oh my gosh, they used to eat like protein four times a day. Cause that was what was in the meal plan. And they used to have like all these different things. And now they're choosing chocolate chip cookies for every snack or now they're eating seven snacks um, or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my view, and again, I'm curious kind of your perspective on this from what you've seen, but like my view is like, it's part of the healing process, right? Like it's like, 
it's a pendulum. Like when we have struggled with restricting, not having enough, being very controlled around food, the only way that we're going to find neutrality and be peaceful and be choosing things that are feeling good for us in a way that feels good for us is to allow the pendulum to swing to a place where we're eating a bunch of chocolate chip cookies and we're having all these snacks and we're not eating the protein because we need to go over to that, like a little bit out of control mode to find the the stability. Yeah. I think I explained to my patients, even more than the parents, like how, you know, how is your body supposed to know like how many cookies is appropriate if you've only ever allowed yourself like one cookie. Right. And, and then you're, you're like, only I'm going to have my dessert. I'm going to do my challenge food. I'm going to have this one cookie. Right. And it's like, well, are you really satisfied? Did that feel good? And so then you're like, okay, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to do whatever. And you eat like 12 cookies and you get a stomach ache. And it's like, okay, well that, that didn't work either. But it's like, how were you to know that? Um, yes. On like a gut level, like obviously we right. all kind of know like, oh yeah, 12 cookies sounds like a lot of cookies. Right. Um, but, but also if you, I mean, there's all these contexts, right? If I haven't eaten yeah. in 24 hours, like maybe 12 <laughs> cookies is a good thing in that, in we're that circumstance, like, right? Yeah. Like, or you're pregnant. I don't know. Like, <laughs> right. Start. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, you might need that because there's so much context, but yeah, I like that. Like you need to, that's the key to all of this. Like the client, the patient, they need to experience it in their own bodies. They can't just apply this idea of like, well, Julia says like probably 12 cookies isn't going to feel good because yeah. that is relying on external yeah. guidance versus internal. And they have to learn that. It's kind of like, Okay. So then here's the other, other question I get all the time from parents. It's like, well, if you let them eat whatever they want and it's all choices, then they're never going to choose vegetables. Yeah. How do you respond to that? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Um, so I mean, I think frankly more like not with my anorexic patients because they want to eat vegetables all the time. But like right. with some other eating disorders or other picky eating habits, like it's very common. Yeah. So I mean, for me, what comes up first of all is like, yeah, may, like even if they weren't in a place in their disorder where they were like forcing themselves to eat a lot of vegetables, if they were, you yeah. can see how the healing phase isn't going to include, include a lot of vegetables. Cause there was right. like, yeah, some uncomfortable stuff there, but even yeah. if there wasn't, there probably was a mindset of, I should be eating veggies. I'm yeah. bad if I don't eat yeah. my veggies. Yeah there's this like dichotomy, this good, bad. And during the healing phase, we're probably not going to see ourselves being drawn to that. The other thing I think of is like, have they experienced veggies in a way that's actually satisfying to them and like what they want? Have they allowed themselves to like, you know, whatever, just like, yeah. Like put a little oil on them. (laughs) Exactly. Like put some salt, put some cheese sauce, whatever. Like have you actually, have they explored vegetables for satisfaction, not vegetables for being good or whatever else it might've been tied to? Yeah. So that's the same as I try to talk about exercise, right? It's like, you can't eat vegetables just because they're good because at some point, like you don't want to be good, like (laughs) all the time. Right. Or like you you want to rebel against the being good too. Yeah. Yeah. And like with exercise, it's like, you can't just exercise and hate it all the time, um, but do it because you're supposed to, you need to, to find something you really enjoy. Yeah. And like find motivations for enjoying movement or enjoying vegetables that aren't tied to really disordered self-control type mm-hmm. things, right? Like we need to be choosing the veggies because 
they sound delicious to me today or because you know what I feel better when I have some veggies on my plate versus not you know like we have to again coming back to like the internal reasons versus like the fear-based reasons or I want to change my body or that kind of thing and what are some of those reasons that you see people really develop you mean positive like reasons? eating yeah like the positive ones like that aren't because I'm supposed to or because like the doctor yeah. told me yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it comes back to that internal experience again of like, if I have a day where I eat one vegetable and again, this is going to be, it'll vary person to person, but like if I have a day when I have like one or two veggies, whatever, like I feel better and I'm aware of that. I'm tuned into that compared to days when I have zero most of the time. Right. Or like when I don't exercise at all, I actually experience more anxiety, but when I go out for at least a little bit of a walk and get fresh air, like I feel better. Those are the kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. And so like being in tune enough with yourself to notice that like, oh, this makes me feel good. And this makes me feel bad. <laughs> and so I'm doing the things that yes. make me feel physically. And good. it's not tied to I'm good for doing the things that make me feel good. Right. And like, I'm, I'm not bad when I don't. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like that judgmental thing too. I think another positive supportive reason that might not always be tied to how it feels totally, at least not, you might not get that right from the beginning is managing like chronic conditions, right? Whether that's like blood sugar issues, cholesterol, whatever else might be going on, or even like joint issues, like doing physical therapy to whatever. I mean, it, it is rooted in how you feel to some degree, but I think that can feel a little bit removed sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that leads me right into you know, how do health conditions play into intuitive eating, right? And we've talked about how do eating disorders play into intuitive eating and that's complicated, but it's phases, right? Like you can hopefully get to the phase where it doesn't and mm -hmm. like you don't have it anymore, but things like diabetes or um, PCOS or like some other conditions, like they don't go away, you know? And totally. it's not a, it doesn't really matter. Just like the person with cancer who like, it doesn't matter if you don't want to eat, like you better start eating. Cause like you need to right. make sure that your body can handle the treatment. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, with diabetes, like you have to count carbs. Right. So how does so that, how do you even work with that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, my view is that for somebody that's positioned and they're, they're not in an active eating disorder, um, to be able to work towards intuitive eating, like I think it's going to be more beneficial, right? If, if somebody is struggling with diabetes and they have a disordered relationship to food and they believe that they should be cutting out carbs, which is a whole wormhole of other, another conversation, but like, like please cutting, don't cut out carbs if you have diabetes. Please. Exactly. Like, thank you. Yeah. Like, please do not do that. But like, that's the messaging out there. Um, and if they believe that and they believe they're bad, if they want to eat their favorite chocolate cake, and then they end up binging on chocolate cake because they think they shouldn't be, right. It's like this whole messy, disgusting cycle that I just see all the time. Yeah. And I intuitive eating and having a healthy healed relationship to food will better position you to be able to manage your diabetes. Like will better position you to have a healthy relationship with movement, which then will play into managing the diabetes better. So I think the scary thing for people is like, well, if I have diabetes and I, you know, I'm worried about my blood sugar. And then I just like practice intuitive eating and I eat 12 cookies a day. That's yeah. not going to be good for my diabetes. And what I just think it's really important to note is like, that is the healing phase. And yes, yeah. I think you should have the support yeah. of a professional while working through this, especially if you're managing a condition, just know that that phase is not intuitive eating. That phase is healing from dieting or restriction or whatever else. Yeah. And I think something you, 
you said made me think of, you know, it's okay to maybe have a bad A1C one time, right? Like, yeah. like if your A1C is, and that's, you know, for people who are diabetic, it's like your three month blood sugar average, you know, and you're, you're paranoid about having a bad reading and maybe like having eye issues or some other, other thing come up, but you're always ending up having binges or whatever, like at some point you need to like go through that healing process in order to actually get to the point where you can successfully manage the diabetes, right? Like you can't get there if it's just, oh, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, and then I'm going to binge for a couple of days. And then I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try, right? Like that's not going to be a nice A1C. No. And that's a cycle people get stuck in. And they're like, if I can just try harder, if I can just like push it another day without a binge, right? It's like this disgusting cycle. So I love how you said that, that it's like, it's okay to have a bad A1C. Like it's okay. Like if we know that like, this is the healing. And on, on the other side of that is years and years and years of really behaving around food differently because of that healing, like that bad quote unquote A1C that we don't want to see it going up, um, you know, has a, a purpose. And it's hard. Cause like your, your doctor, whoever, like may not know like all the stuff that's going on and some of them do, and that's wonderful, but sometimes they don't. And they're just like, oh my gosh, your A1C is like 11. Like what's right. going on? Um, yeah. They're going to see that through their lens and, you know, it, it makes sense that they're going to be concerned if they're seeing it go up, but like you can, yeah, you can share what's actually going on and you know, kind of what, what's going on. Yeah. Cool. I think that's so important. I actually have a patient right now that had, she had binge eating disorder and we were like, she's, she was doing amazing, like so well into recovery. And then like found out she had diabetes and it's so challenging. Cause you're like, Oh, I thought I didn't want to like pay this close attention to what I was eating. And now I am again. And it, it brings so many things back up. Oh yeah. And the way that I think about it is like, we have been conditioned and only learned quote unquote, one way of managing health in our culture. And it's actually something that totally has the opposite effect, right? So like, in other words, when you get a diabetes diagnosis, it's really common to be like, well, now I need to control my food and try to lose weight or, and and try to force myself to exercise. Otherwise I'm abandoning my health. And so we need a, a new different lens to be viewing health through. Like you need to know that there's another way, um, Mm -hmm. that's actually going to be more sustainable and effective and serve you much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That was really helpful. Um, is there anything that you would want to put out there as um, maybe the most common thing that you hear as pushback to going down the road of intuitive eating, if someone does have a health condition? Um, I mean, I think we touched on it. Cause I think, I feel like the biggest part is this misunderstanding. And yeah, this misunderstanding that like, what is the healing phase of intuitive eating? It's going to be what it looks like forever. And that like yeah. intuitive eating they, is they just like, the time or... yes, like out of controlness around food and just like, quote unquote, eating whatever you want without regard. And like, and yeah, just like eating chaotically. And I think the problem is that people fear this because of the deep distrust they have in their bodies. But like when you build, rebuild this, this sense of trust, and when you see the full picture of what this healing process kind of leads to, um, you know, that's, that's not the outcome. The outcome is not binging on whatever all the time and eating in these ways that don't feel good for you. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a, a longer game to this intuitive eating healing process. And that brings up one more thing that I hadn't thought of. Um, so I 
have patients, you know, that are in school a lot of the time. And so it's like, they have that, that weird cycle of like incredible stress and then like nothing, right? Like, <laughs> like yes. finals and then summer and then like the start of the semester and then like winter break for a month. And so it's very strange. And when you do go down the road of intuitive eating or eating disorder treatment or like whatever it is, like any of these things that we take um, part in, there's going to be like a mess, right? Like that healing process mess for a month to many months, right? Yes. <laughs> and um, maybe it's not time to start it during finals, right? Like, <laughs> like yep. I, totally I, had a patient, I had a patient this year uh, who was in college and she had like concussions and was still trying to um, go through school. And she like has, uh, you know, I don't know, like sort of binge eating disorder, but more like EDNSO or however you say that, uh, EDNOS and (laughs) just like disordered eating. Um, and you know, we had talked about all the ways we could start working on intuitive eating because that's really where she needed to go. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, I was like, maybe now is not the time, right? Like maybe we just need to like eat and get through the next two weeks and then like talk about it. And so that also plays into like health conditions where you are might not be the time, but also like just your life circumstance might not be the totally time. like what's the most pressure pressing issue. And like, I have this conversation with clients a lot to just kind of further along on their healing journey is like, sometimes you just need to like, let yourself be maybe there again is more press- pressing things going on. And that's okay. Like, obviously, we want to talk about how you, sh- you know, it's great to prioritize your healing and recovery and you will, but like, it's okay if you just let yourself be for the time being as well. Yeah. Cool. Cause I think that is not like when you're on social media, you know, you see these little like 10 word snippets that are just like, do it now, like take care of yourself now, like all this stuff. And it's like, well, there's all this nuance to not only what intuitive eating even is, but also like, when is it appropriate for you? hundred percent. It's always in the nuance. The answer is always yeah. in the nuance. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much, Kirsten. This was really great. And uh, so nice to have you back on. Thank you again, Julia. Okay.